So what is direct primary care? Have you ever heard of that field? Are you interested in learning more about family medicine? Well, you'll be interested to listen in to my conversation with the amazing Dr. Chelsea Moreland. She is the CEO and founder of Lifecycle Direct Primary Care in Columbus, Ohio. Let's jump right into the episode. Roll the music. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Black Med Connect podcast, affectionately known as the BMED podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jasmine Weiss. And here on the BMED podcast, we share inspiring stories of black physicians and physicians in training at the intersection of culture, medicine and innovation. I am so excited to have a dear friend on with me tonight by the name of Dr. Chelsea Moreland. We were undergrads together at the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University together, and she has gone on to have an amazing journey and is doing phenomenal things in family medicine. And I'll let her share all about her story, but we're excited and delighted to have you with us. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to share with you guys and where my journey has taken me. And I've been practicing now for four years. It seems like yesterday I just finished residency, but I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. I completed my medical school training at the Ohio State University and then my residency training at Medical Center here in Columbus, Ohio, and then stuck around and decided I wanted to do something different to make a change um, in our health equity space here in Columbus, Ohio, but outside of the hospital system. So I founded a medical practice. Fantastic. And we would love to hear more about your practice shortly. And you mentioned your journey. Could you share with us a little bit about what really inspired you to even start along this journey to medicine and now ultimately own a practice? What inspired you to pursue medicine? You know, it's so funny because I feel like when I sit on panels and people answer this question, some people are like, you know, I knew I wanted to do this when I was born. And I'm like, I <laughs> <laughs> like am I the only exception here? <laughs> No. I'm like, when I started undergrad, I was said that I was going to be a biology teacher for high school. I really loved science and I loved teaching and I loved people, but I hadn't even really fathomed that being a physician was an option. To be quite honest, I can't say that when I finished high school, I really even had a thorough understanding of what a physician did. You know, it wasn't until I got into medical school that I even realized some people had like the same physician their entire life or I saw the same pediatricians they were like 23 and I was like this is this wasn't normal in my community but so part of that was me not seeing you know a physician in my community on a regular basis and not having that presence and that's really what inspired me and I was like you know we we have to have more of a presence because all of these things that we see in terms of like some of the poor health outcomes some of the like poor health decisions that we see patients make that belong to our communities are largely because of a lack of health literacy, right? But if we're not there, we can't teach. And so I found myself at FAMU having these interesting health-related conversations, mental health-related conversations, sexual health conversations. And I was like, man, what if I, you know, could marry my love for science and my love for people with teaching in this space? And so that's really what started everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said so much there, the fact that wasn't even an awareness that some people had the same pediatrician, right? Like that's such a nuanced detail, but so very true. If you are 
coming to a health system where you're constantly having to see different providers, you wouldn't even know that that's a possibility. I remember that just makes me remember when I went to med school and I remember vividly not really knowing what a fellow was. Mm-hmm. So when people were tossing around the word fellow. I was like, what are they talking about? And I was in med school. Right. So <laughs> I truly identify with that. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you decided, okay, I'm not going to do the biology teaching route. I'm going to pursue medical school. Tell us a little bit about what your process was like for making that decision, what medical school you chose to go to. How did you come to that decision? So honestly, I would say that probably was the hardest part and just making the decision and finding the resources because it wasn't something that I saw. I didn't have mentors in medicine at the time, so I didn't have anything established or in place to just guide me. And so with a lot of kind of digging online, trying to, you know, find different resources like the resources that you're creating to say, hey, here's the path that you take. And then once I got started, I was learning the entire time. So there was never a moment of like, oh, I know what I'm doing. It was constant learning, learning what a fellow is, learning what a research project looks like, learning what an internship was. I had no idea. So this was a whole new world. But a lot of it really was what I found online resource wise. And then on campus, we had science organizations like FGAMP. And so that helped give me exposure by way of taking us to research conferences. And so you ran into people who were doing a lot of this medical based research and that, you know, that kind of catapulted things. So that was the time I got my first internship opportunity and knew when to apply and how to apply. So yeah, it was doing a lot of digging on my own, but then just slowly learning throughout the process when it came time to apply for med school, I think like a lot of, I would say minority students who decide they want to go into medicine, I didn't even realize like, you know, when I was supposed to apply for medical school was different than what most of my classmates thought or had done. And so there was always this kind of hesitancy on the inside, like, am I doing this right? Because I'm being told to do it this way. I don't see people doing it this way around me. Mm -hmm. And so when I was studying for the MCAT, I was studying by myself. And didn't really have people around me who had a reference point of what that experience was like. And so I was busy doing way too many things at the time, taking an MCAT prep course, because it was just like this side thing that I was doing. Because <laughs> there were people in my life who, you know, saw the magnitude of it at the time um, or knew how intense it was. So, yeah, it was a very interesting time. And then when it came time to apply, I applied literally as many places as I could. And so one of the best pieces of advice someone gave me was, hey, you know, break it down as three categories. Apply to places who, you know, you meet and exceed their metrics. So you're almost, they're almost guaranteed schools. There's nothing to guaranteed. The places that, you know, you're kind of right at their metric mark in terms of ACT, ICT, MCAT, and your GPA and, and experiences. So kind of you're like, yeah, I should get in schools. And then your dream schools. So like, yeah, I might not make it, but I really would love to. And so that honestly was the best piece of advice for me because, People who weren't getting in usually either didn't apply to enough schools or they only applied to dream schools. And so I would say that was literally the best advice the entire time was just being open and having these categories and expectations. And so I ended up getting accepted into three different programs. And the two most important factors for me were one, representation. So I wanted to be in a space that I would feel welcomed and valued and then kind of distance from my family. And that might sound crazy because <laughs> some people are like, I want to be close to my family. I want it to be closer than Florida. But <laughs> again, kind of going back to what that was like studying for an MCAT when no one around me knew what that was like. There were so many distractions and not because the people who loved me didn't want me to succeed. 
they didn't understand. And so I knew I couldn't be in Detroit. (laughs) I knew that wouldn't work. And so I had to balance where I wanted to be location wise with a place that I, you know, felt that I would be openly accepted and taught well. So ultimately I decided on OSC. I love that. I love that because I think a lot of times our family is our our biggest supporters, our friends, our organizations that we're in, they support you, but the magnitude of the amount of work and the stress and the strain and the amount of time it takes, I don't think people really truly understand it. So I like that you were able to, you know, figure out that balance of closer, but far enough. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I would say, you know, in terms of the studying part, one thing that I see kind of recurring even now like when we have interactions with high school students and undergrads, they still have like a lack of distinction between going to nursing school and becoming a physician. And so I think that some of that confusion is because people see people, you know, training like, to be a nurse while working another job or doing those things while working another job. And so they kind of think it's synonymous. And so they're like, oh, you can, you can work a job and do all these other things and go to school and, and get this certificate. And I'm like, no, I'm not getting a certificate. It's an entirely different process. And I can't work. I can't work. I don't know. Maybe someone else can. I can't work and do that too. Right, right, right. So how did you balance it when you got to, to Ohio State? What was that like for you? Man, that was so... I would say that that figuring out how to apply was strategically the most difficult because it was Mm -hmm. uncharted territory and I kind of had to figure out all the steps myself. But getting in and actually starting was probably the most mentally stressful time point in the journey. I felt extremely isolated. Obviously, I needed to be somewhat isolated because I didn't want to be distracted. But what I saw when I initially came on campus for like second look and everything else was not what I got. And so, I mean, that's, I would say, that's a really big thing to be mindful of, asking people what their experiences were like, what were like at the medical school you're considering going to. Because when I came back for a second look, when I tell you there was like black and brown people everywhere in this room and with us throughout the day. But what I didn't know is that these were like all of the black and brown people in the entire four classes just shoved Mm. into one room. And so when I got there, I was one out of 10 African-American students in my class and our class was close to 200 people. And of those 10, one of the distinctions that became made is I was one of only three who were what they consider a direct admit. And I applied and got in that fall without any additional assistance or doing a post-bac program. I didn't fail previously or enter this class. And so there was a distinction being made amongst faculty and kind of this Mm. bias towards some of us and not others of us. And so it was just really isolating that first couple of years trying to navigate how do I study and learn the amount of content that I had to learn at one time, which before med school, studying was easy. Studying was just like, I just had to review the text once and I'm, I'm fine. This was the first time I genuinely was like, I don't really understand how I'm ever <laughs> going to get all of this in. And are you sure that's what the plan is? Like, it's going to fit in here somewhere? <laughs> so, yeah, that was rough trying to go mm-hmm. through that while also feeling just really alone and disconnected because there were people who had guidance the entire time. There were people who had learned this process long before they were there. There were people whose families, you know, lived in town or were coming to visit and would take them on vacations every couple of months, like after tests, like long, extensive, like getaways. And I didn't have those things. And so, you know, after tests, I'm just like, I'm going to have a staycation for the weekend and celebrate that I don't have to study this weekend. And 
trying to power through until the next test and the next test. <laughs> so it almost just seemed like it was never ending challenges, I would say. Mm-hmm. So how did you, who did you rely on during that time as you were trying to navigate the volume of work and almost like you said, that feeling of isolation, how did you kind of overcome that or what strategies did you use? You know, I think having gone to an agency really gave me the resilience that I needed to deal with being in that space and to be comfortable taking up space, to be comfortable making connections with my classmates who identify similar to me and not allowing that division in the school to permeate into the 10 of us because we needed each other. And so I really dug deeper into just making sure that I stayed connected with those of us who were in the class. And then honestly, trying to draw on the things that really filled my cup so it was a spiritual journey, to be honest, those first couple yeah. of years. Like I remember, I literally like shut out everything and I started to go into prayer every night of the week, pretty much like an entire hour long prayer. This is not stuff that I had done before. Like I prayed before, but this was an entirely different battle. And it was like, I had something way more powerful than what I used to has to come into play here. So I would go to prayer for an hour. I would go to boxing. We have a place here called Title Boxing. I would go boxing. That was my routine consistently outside of studying. I did almost nothing else the first two years. But that routine allowed me to stay focused on the finish line and to not really worry about who was and was not present in the process. I love that. I love that you found your outlets that helped you and Woo, when you talk about prayer, you talk about some prayers in med school. <laughs> I still, my mom and I used to pray before every exam, like mm-hmm. every exam. So I get that. I get that, that, that grounding, that spiritual grounding that you need. And from a fitness perspective, because I think people, sometimes the first thing that can go for some people is their physical health because yep. you're so focused on trying to get the work done. So I love that you were able to like make a schedule and stick to it and how it helped you. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that as well. Uh, no, I didn't eat right. <laughs> I went to boxing. Hey, you I got something right. <laughs> what was your go-to after exam? Did you have a go-to after exams? Man, I love pizza. I love pizza and all things with cheese and pasta. So it was Papa John's almost consistently while studying for tests. And then mm-hmm. after that, it was usually like Olive Garden and I wanted lasagna. So all the stuff that was just terrible for me, but it <laughs> hey, it worked. Me. Exactly. It was comforting and I was mm-hmm. good. I would binge watch Netflix or something over that weekend and just eliminate anything that looked like a book <laughs> or something. Exactly. So I could prepare for the next go round. Absolutely. Are you interested in taking a deeper dive with Black Med Connect? Then join our Black Med Connector newsletter. Each week, you'll hear more about our guests and go behind the scenes to get a deeper dive into their careers. You will get the professional productivity word of the week, and you'll get to see and learn more about amazing physicians doing wonderful things in entrepreneurship and innovation. So head on over to BMED Connect, bmedconnect.com slash podcast and join the Black Med Connector newsletter. Back to the episode. Okay, so when you were in med school, at that point, had you decided on family medicine or when did you kind of come to realize, I want to do family medicine? So absolutely not. So again, I was not the person who like had this path that they had already dreamed out. 
I knew that I really enjoyed women's health in particular because I saw women in our communities as being the staple. They were the backbone. I grew up in a single parent household with my mom and I saw how she and my aunts and my grandmothers and everyone kind of held everybody else together. They were the ones who made sure that we had what we needed in school or in sports. They were the ones who made sure we got two practices and two college tours and all these things. They were the ones who got our fathers and our grandfathers and our brothers to go to the doctor and to do the things that they needed to stay well. And so to me, the key to improving health in our communities was through our women. And so I knew then that I wanted to do some type of like women's health center. So I had this idea that I was going to have this practice, but it was going to be focused on women, both young adult women. So even like late adolescents and young adult women. And I thought then that that meant I could only do gynecology, obstetrics and gynecology. So that again, kind of going back to like these rudimentary understandings of what I was getting myself into. So I thought there was only one path to do this. And so I thought I was going to do OBGYN, started considering like even adolescent OBGYN. And then I got to probably third year when I first mm-hmm. did a rotation mm-hmm. and realized I absolutely hated <laughs> my <laughs> experience. It's like the information in the book was great. That experience was not for me. Yes, yes, yes. I would find myself in the OR like, is it time to leave? Like, mm-hmm. I really, like, this was great. I'm glad I saw this, but I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And I realized how much of my training in obstetrics and gynecology will be focused on surgery. Surgeries that, by and large, I really didn't want to ever do. I wanted to do more, you know, preventive care and doing SE testing and contraception management and education. So it just really didn't fit what I saw myself doing all the time. Um, and so... My very last rotation of, of medical school was my family medicine rotation. And I thought for sure, again, you know, I was just going to do OB and I would just have to get through all these extra surgical rotations I didn't want to do. But when I did my family medicine rotation, I did it here at Grant. So there are three different family medicine programs in the area. Grant was the only one that had an emphasis on women's health and obstetrics. So even though all of us have some exposure to obstetrics, not all of us are involved in programs who truly do a deeper dive into obstetrics so that you can actually come out, you know, with enough number of deliveries and experience to just go out and practice and still do obstetrics. So I did my experience there intentionally and absolutely fell in love. Like it was the probably scariest feeling of med school to be honest, because there was this huge decision on the table to make, to deviate from what I thought I was doing all this time at the last minute. Like it was the last rotation before we were starting to put in applications. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I can't um, imagine the stress level at that point. <laughs> yeah. And like, and, you know, people around you now, you've told people what you're interested in. So people are expecting something from you. You've made connections and mentors, at least people will write letters for you in these other areas. And I'm like, man, I don't want to disappoint anybody. But when I was on this rotation, I mean, every door that we walked into was different. You know, I saw people that reminded me of my grandmother. I saw people that reminded me of myself in high school. It was just the most beautiful experience. And I was like, wow, this is fun. One, you never know what's coming. And then two, one of the patients I got to see in my outpatient portion of that time was actually an 18-year-old who was pregnant. It was a desired pregnancy. It was 
it was really beautiful. Like it wasn't any, I would say, traumatic stuff that we experienced and see. And I remember my last day of that rotation. I'd seen her twice because she was right in her, her pregnancy. And I remember leaving and heading home from my rotation. And one of the residents called me and was like, hey, do you want to come back? She's in labor. You want to come back? You can help with her delivery. And I was like, what? First of all, you caught me. Second of all, <laughs> right. you help her delivery? So I was just so impressed by their willingness to invest in me and what I was interested in. So, I mean, it took effort to recognize that this was something that was really meaningful to me and to offer me that opportunity. And that was something that throughout my entire time in my OB rotation was never present. There was never a feeling of someone really supporting me and what I wanted to do. It's kind of like I felt like I was in the way all the time. And I didn't want to go into a residency feeling like I did in med school. I was like, I don't want to spend another couple of years feeling like I'm in the trenches by myself, especially having to do stuff I don't even enjoy doing. Right. Yeah. So that's right. honestly what changed my mind. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> and for, for our audience really quick, what you're speaking to, a lot of people may or may not understand it. Like there are different nuances to all the specialties, the right. culture of different specialties, the culture of different areas of the hospital is truly palpable. You can feel it. And when you go as a med student to these different areas, you can genuinely pick up on this group of people kind of operates this way. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad your family medicine residents and, and I don't know if there was an attending too involved in that decision, but I'm glad they invited you back to just be a part of that experience. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And like, like you said, it was palpable. I didn't have to fight to be involved in anything. It was intentional to get me involved. And I knew if I went to a place like that, there's no way I can fail. I knew they would be invested in whatever I decided to do in that path. And it also opened up a lot of opportunity. I felt like at the end, when you have to make this decision of, you know, what is, you know, what is it going to spend the rest of your life doing? I was like, man, this is a big commitment. I don't know. I've never really been in the rooms caring for these patients consistently other than rotations, which really you're kind of just shadowing to an extent and then writing notes that people never look at. So I was like, I'm not actually practicing medicine yet. I don't know what's going to fill my cup enough to sustain me indefinitely. Um, And so with family medicine, I didn't have to make that decision. I was able to continue to do all the things that were intriguing and interesting to me so that when I came out, I could really figure out my doing what I was going to really love and want to dive deeper into. And so I'm really blessed that I had that experience before applications. I ended up applying to both family medicine and OB, really more so because I was terrified. (laughs) I was just like, I guess I should just see what it's like other places because maybe I'm making this decision based off of one small place. And then I found exactly what you said. Specialties tend to have a culture, no matter where you go. And Places that I thought were going to be more open and accepting and friendly failed me. And I was like, yeah, this is, this, this really isn't for me. So really the interview trail for OB, is I only applied to that one family medicine program, it was the only one I would want to go to because it was the only one within like three or four hours that had such an emphasis on OB. So I didn't want to go anywhere else other than that if I was going to do family medicine. But I needed to know, was there an opportunity to have a similar experience in OB somewhere? And I didn't. Um, and so that's really what sealed the deal. And I was like, all right, we're good. I, I got out there. I saw it and I really can say, I am not going to like it if I do this. The other thing I want to add is there is a pressure with making that decision when you go to an academic institution. I mean, anywhere that's teaching med students is, is an academic institution technically, but I guess I should say one like an OSU where there's this huge emphasis on research and specialty medicine. 
So even though being on the flip side now, I can say statistically other countries do better than us with outcomes because they invest in us, you and I, primary care. Mm-hmm, primary but care. in the systems that we are that we work in, what brings in the money is specialties. And so that's what is driven to your head is the elite. And so when it came time to make that decision and make my rank list, I also dealt with, man, like I'm going to tell people that basically I couldn't cut it, right? Like I felt like making the decision to shift to family medicine was agreeing with them that as a young black woman in medicine, I couldn't make it in a specialty, which was by far not the case. I did like 12 OB interviews. I just didn't want to do it. And so I really had to hold fast to my morals and values and what was important to me in making that decision and not allow all the external forces to come into play including even family, you know, same thing. Family is like, oh, you know, they especially pay so much money, but I'm not going to be happy. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you can't undo this decision to an extent you can. And we know that, but it's much harder to undo what you've made, you know, the wrong decision per se in terms of which path to go down. So yeah, it was a tough decision, but ultimately my heart knew long before rank lists were submitted. Yes. Yes. And I mean, you're so right. Like, the hierarchy within medicine, the pay gaps for certain specialties, preventive care versus subspecialty care and surgical fields. You know, I think our whole system has a lot of work to do in mm-hmm. terms of making sure that not only just parity from a pay perspective, let's talk about patient outcomes. If we can mm-hmm. focus on prevention, we can hopefully help to alleviate some of the poor outcomes that we have. And so I'm glad you really brought that up and I'm glad you followed your heart because a lot, there are a lot of students out there, there a lot of residents out there who feel like they made the wrong decision and they're in the middle of residency, right? And so for anyone listening who's a trainee, you know, do not hesitate to follow your gut because this is what you're going to have to do every single day of the week. Exactly. Every and the people day. that you are going to have to be with every day. Exactly. And the patients you're going to have to care for. Truly, yeah. truly. We hope you enjoyed our part one of our episode with Dr. Chelsea Moreland. Stick around for next week's episode where we'll have part two of our discussion. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe, 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 subscribe on our YouTube channel. Or if you like listening to your podcast, subscribe to the Black Med Connect podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, dream without limits. Bye.